Well, good morning, church. What a privilege to be here with you today. First of all, I want to say that like Jonathan and David, whose hearts were knit together, as soon as I met your pastor and his wife, our hearts were knit together with them. It's a privilege to be here with you today. Now, folks say to me, now, Doc, you're in the upstate, but where is that accent from? You're not from around these here parts, are you? Well, I'm from Manning originally, down the lower part of the state. And when I was growing up, there were more folks saved on the day of Pentecost than what lived in the Manning city limits when I was growing up. In fact, you could dial a wrong number in Manning and still talk for 15 minutes. (laughs) And you laugh, but I've done that several times when I was a kid. My mom and dad would walk for exercise, but... They could never complete it for folks stopping and offering them a ride, thinking their car had broke down or something. And my mom would come back and say, well, we didn't get any exercise, but we caught up on all the local gossip. (laughs) I left Manning and went to Clemson University, then from there to the Medical University in Charleston, then to Spartanburg for three years of family medicine residency and one year of surgery training. When I was in medical school, the love of my life left me Miss Carlotta, she went to the Middle East as a journeyman missionary with the International Mission Board. She worked at the El Mustashfel of Marmadani Fi Gaza. That's the Baptist Hospital in Gaza where she taught nursing and worked as a nurse in the hospital there, the Baptist Hospital in Gaza. When she got back from there, I married her as fast as I could so she wouldn't leave me again. (laughs) And God has blessed us with nine precious little lambs. And I know what you're thinking, but we, I did not miss that class in medical school. I do know where children come from. But I just believe what God says in Psalms 127, that children are a blessing from the Lord. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And I guess my quiver's part near full. Well, anyway, I'm delighted to be here with you today and uh, share a little bit from, from God's Word. And I want to talk to you about one step to resolving family conflict. Has anything ever occurred in your marriage or in your family that has caused you to be angry or bitter or to struggle with unforgiveness? Do your head like this. Y'all can be honest with me. I'm the family doctor. You can talk to me. My patients tell me all kinds of things, things that would horrify you. Yeah, you can be honest. We can all be honest about that. And if it hasn't before now, it probably will later. Some years ago, I had a couple that counseled with me for about a year. The husband came faithfully to every counseling appointment. The wife, not so much. The husband worked diligently on changing things in his marriage that he knew were problematic. And in fact, even in my presence, he confessed sin. He confessed the things that were wrong about himself that he knew aggravated and irritated his wife. He did everything that he possibly could to restore the marriage. The wife, not so much. After a year of counseling, it became apparent that she really was not interested in restoring the marriage, and she insisted on a divorce. He begged and pled with her not 
to go to divorce court. But ultimately, she insisted, and their day in court came, and he asked me to go to divorce court with him to be an emotional support. I agreed to go. I went to the court, which I'd never done before. I'd never been there before. And it was a very interesting experience because the judge looked at the two of them as they stood before him, and he asked them two questions. He looked at them and he said, is there anything that you would be willing to change in order to salvage your marriage? And the husband said to the judge, he listed a whole list of things that he had been willing to change in the last year. And then he pointed to me as the counselor and he said, Dr. Jackson can vouch for me that I have been willing to change these things. The judge looked at me, and I nodded my head in affirmation. The wife didn't say a word. She just looked over her husband's head and just said no. The judge then asked a second question. And he said, is there anything that you would be willing to forgive in order to salvage your marriage? The husband very quickly said, Judge, I don't have any grudges against my wife. I have forgiven her everything that she's ever done. The wife just stared over her husband's head and did not say a word. They ended up divorced that day. And I went away having learned an important lesson. That there are two things in the final analysis that cause families to break up. They cause marriages to break up. And you just heard what they are. It's an unwillingness to change and an unwillingness to forgive. Does that sound right to you? It does, doesn't it? And I've counseled with lots of husbands and wives over the course of my 40 years of family medicine. And I realized that that judge had nailed it down very tight. He had figured it out. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that I'm going to only talk about that one aspect, that unwillingness to forgive. In the resolving of family conflict, in the resolving of marital conflict, let's just talk about that one issue, that unwillingness to to forgive. Marriages dissolve and families break up because of an unwillingness to forgive or an unwillingness to change. About five years ago, a young woman came into my office as a brand new patient. She'd just been discharged from the military on a medical Discharge because she'd injured her back. But she'd been in the Middle East for a number of years. And while she was there, she was sexually assaulted by a superior officer multiple times. She had protested to those who were above him, but got no response. She even secretly videoed one of the sexual assaults. And she showed that video to his superior officer And the end result was that she was transferred back to the United States and told to keep her mouth shut. As you can imagine, she was highly offended. She was indignant. She was bitter. She was angry. 
And from a medical standpoint, she was suffering from what we would call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. She suffered panic attacks because of the consequence of being assaulted multiple times. Shortly thereafter, she injured her back in a routine training exercise and ended up ending her her, uh, military career early. She was discharged medically. And when I saw this young woman, she was angry. She was bitter. She was suffering panic attacks, PTSD, and she was extremely unforgiving towards her lieutenant who had sexually assaulted her multiple times and had suffered no consequences. So, how would you counsel this patient? You're in the exam room. You're the doctor. How would you counsel with this young lady? Well, we have to go to first base. First base is the question, ma'am, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, why do we go to first base and why do I ask that question? Because I'm going to ask this young lady to do some very hard things. And to be honest, unless she is born again into the kingdom of God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, some of the things that I'm going to ask this young lady to do She is simply not going to be able to do. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Some of the things that I'm going to ask this young lady to do can only be done supernaturally. Only if the Spirit of God lives in her. And in fact, some of the things that God asks you and me to do in this life are otherworldly. They can only be done supernaturally. Is that right? You can talk to me. You know what I'm talking about. There are things that the kingdom of God expects of you and me. That the Holy Father expects of you and me. They can only be accomplished because the Spirit of God lives through you and me. They are uniquely Christian. They are phenomenon only accomplished by the people of God who are indwelt by the very person and power of God. And you can say amen. amen. So I asked her, I said, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And she said, yes. Now, I never accept that at face value. I always ask a diagnostic question. And I said, well, now. If you stood at the gate of heaven and God himself met you at the gate and said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And to my surprise, she said, well, Dr. Jackson, when I was a teenager, I realized that I was a sinner. I needed a savior. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart and take away all of my sin. Now, I was impressed with that because I asked that question of lots of people in my medical practice. And I promise you, I get all kind of answers. People will look at me that have just told me that they are a Christian. And when I ask that question, they'll say to me, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person, Doc. And I go to church. And I sing in the choir. And I go to Sunday school. And I read my Bible. And I pay my taxes. Well, what is that? 
That's a works type of righteousness. And then they'll say to me, and you know what? I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. They're telling me the things that are good about them and the things that are not so bad about them and they're stacking that up over here and they're hoping that that's going to earn merit with God. That's a works type of righteousness, isn't it? But you see, this young lady, she gave me the right answer. She didn't give me any of this I'm standing on quicksand kind of answer. She gave me the answer I'm standing on the, the rock. Trusting only in the blood of Jesus. Isn't that what these girls just sang a minute ago? <laughs> Singing about the blood, only the blood. That's the kind of answer she gave me. So I was satisfied that she really belonged to Jesus, that she'd been born again, washed in the blood, her name written down in the Lamb's book of life, a citizen of heaven standing on the rock. So I was satisfied that she was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that she could do some of the hard things that I was going to ask her to do. Have you thought about forgiving your lieutenant? She looked at me and she said, forgive him. Forgive him. I would rather he rot in hell. Now, to be honest... I get a lot of responses in my medical clinic that are surprising. But after she just told me this, I was taken aback. And I said to her, He's not offended you any more than you and I have offended Jesus. He's not wounded or hurt you any more than you and I have wounded and hurt the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's done to you is not worse than what you and I have done to Jesus. And Jesus forgives you and me. More than that, he forgives you and me repeatedly. And then I reminded her of the parable of the king and the unmerciful servant so let's turn in our bibles to matthew chapter 18 now i went through this very quickly with her but you and i are going to go through it carefully look at matthew chapter 18 now you know the story peter has just come to jesus and he has said to jesus how many times Shall I forgive a brother who sins against me? And he says, up to seven times? Now, there's a clash here of cultures. There's the tradition of the Pharisees, which at that time says you should forgive three times. Now, Peter has been with Jesus for a year or more. And he's beginning to comprehend who Jesus is and what he's all about. And Peter's being magnanimous. He's being generous. He's beginning to figure what Jesus is all about. And he says, up to seven times? 
And all the disciples are nodding and thinking, come on, Peter, you got it. You figured it out. But then Jesus, he's, he does this kingdom of God speak. Not, not the traditions of men like the Pharisee. He goes beyond that to the Christian culture that you and I like to live in. He goes beyond that to the kingdom of God principle. And he says, no, 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 no. Look what he says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And Peter and all the disciples do the Daffy Duck thing. Their eyes bug out and their jaw drops all the way to the ground and their hands go. Y'all have seen Daffy do that on the cartoons. And they all look at each other like, that's infinity. That's like forgiving my enemy and whoever sins against me forever and ever, no matter how many. And who can do that? Hey, listen, lost folks can't do that. Unless the Spirit of God lives in you and me, we can't do that. And these disciples didn't have the Spirit of God at that time. And they said, (laughs) can't do that. Not possible. I teach third grade boys in Sunday school. And I ask them to read their Bible every day. And they just very honestly looked at me and said, that's not possible. (laughs) In fact, I ask them to do a lot of things that they look at me and say, that's not possible. I explained the Trinity to them one day and one of them just piped up and said, are you for real? (laughs) That's not possible. I love teaching third grade boys. It's just the bomb. They're so honest. They tell me the things that you think, but you won't say. <laughs> All right. Well, keep, keep going through this, this little passage here. Um, because see, then Jesus begins to explain what he means in verse 23 by telling a parable. To explain a kingdom concept that's the very opposite of the thinking of the kingdoms of this world. And then he goes in verse 20. Well, let's, let's just read it together. For this reason, a, um, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, let's talk. How much is 10,000 talents? Anybody know? I don't expect you to know. I had to look it up. In the New Testament, one talent was 6,000 denarii. A denarii was one day's wages. 6,000 days wages. So if you had a talent, just one, you were considered wealthy. If you had one talent, you were considered wealthy. And this slave owed this master 10,000 talents. That was a debt that could not be repaid. Now, in the Old Testament, a talent was 75 pounds of gold. Now, how much is that today? I calculated it for you. (laughs) 75 pounds times 16 ounces times the price of gold last Thursday, which was $1,800 
is $28,800 times 10,000 talents is 288 million smacks. He owed the guy $288 million. Now, how many of y'all could come up with that in this lifetime or the next or the next or the next? So he owed the man a debt that he could not pay. And so the master said, okay, tough. We're going to sell you and your wife and your children into the debtor's prison. Now, by the way, debtor's prisons still exist. I've been to India multiple times, and there are debtor's prisons. And they do take people's children away from them and put them into debtor's prison until you pay back. And it's not just a prison. They have to break rocks and carry rocks and work in rock quarries until the parents can repay the debt. And if they don't repay the debt, their children stay there until they die. And I work with Christian ministries that do nothing but go and repatriate those children out of those prisons, share the gospel with them, feed them, return them to health, and then reconnect them with their families. And I would encourage you to look into some of those ministries because it's, it's vital. But debtor's prisons still exist. And so... This man, his wife, and his children were going to be sold to the debtor's prison. So the man in humility falls down before the master, the king. He prostrates himself before the king. And in humility, he begs for mercy. There's no negotiation. There's no lawyers. It's don't pass, go, go straight to jail. And then an amazing thing happens. The king looks at him and he's able to separate his slave from his debt. This amazing, unpayable debt. And he has compassion. He has compassion on his slave. And he forgives him a $288 million debt. Who does that? It's like the IRS looking at you and saying, look, Dude, I know you owe $288 million. You hadn't paid your taxes in 20 years, but we're going to forgive you by now. Is that going to happen? Do your head like this. No, that ain't going to happen. In this story, is it ever going to happen that a king is going to forgive a slave a debt like that? No. Not in this life. But Jesus tells the parable, and the king forgives the slave that debt. Now, who does that remind you of? You see, I tell my little boys in the third grade class, when you have a story in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and you can't quite comprehend, you can't quite figure it out, put Jesus in the middle of it, and it comes alive. You put Jesus in the middle of it. And it comes alive. You'll understand it. And brothers and sisters, this story is all about not just an unmerciful servant, but it's also about a compassionate heavenly father who looks down and saw you and me with a debt that we could not pay, not in this lifetime and not ever. And brothers and sisters, when was the last time you found yourself prostrate before the heavenly father and saying, Father in heaven, I cannot pay this debt. Well, what is the debt? The wages of sin is death. For you were dead 
dead, dead in your transgressions and sins. Brothers and sisters, we could not pay that debt, not this life or ever. And when did you ever fall down before the Father and say, Father, I can't pay this debt. And if you don't have mercy on me, I, I will be thrown into the debtor's prison and tormented by the demonic tormentors. And Father, would you please forgive me? Forgive me this debt. I plead the blood of Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't save me, I'll never be saved. Do you understand? That parable is directed at you and me on multiple levels. And then there's an unexpected reversal. Because the king forgives him this debt. He leaves the presence of the king and then he goes into the antechamber and he finds another slave who owes him a hundred denarii, three months worth of wages. And he begins to choke the man, chokes the life out of him and says, pay me what you owe me. And the same scenario plays out in there. And the slave says, just give me some time and I will pay you back. Now, could he pay back a hundred days worth of wages? Sure he could. Just give him a little time. He'll pay you back. But he has no mercy. And the Bible says that he was unwilling. What did the judge ask the husband and the wife? Is there anything that you would be willing to forgive in order to salvage your marriage? And this unmerciful servant, Mr. Unwilling, was unwilling to forgive his fellow slave a hundred days worth of indebtedness. And he had him thrown into the debtor's prison. Well, all of the other servants saw this and they ratted him out to the king. The king called him back in and says to him, what, what's the deal? Could you not extend mercy to your fellow servant? The very same grace and mercy that I extended to you. And he called him a wicked, wicked servant. And he had him thrown into the debtor's prison until he could pay the very last cent. And then Jesus turned to everyone that was around him. And he said... Unless you forgive from your heart. Get that. Unless you forgive from your heart. So will your heavenly father deal with you. So here's the question. How do you and I avoid the debtor's prison? We have to learn to forgive from our hearts. We have to learn how to forgive from our hearts. This parable is directed at folks like you and me on multiple levels. First, in regards to our salvation, but also as you as Christian folks, as folks who interact with other believers, as husband and wife. As parent and child, as child and parent, as brothers and sisters in the faith, as folks who interact with other believers and, and, and co-workers and next door neighbors. 
And you see, there are lots of us who fail to forgive someone else in our life. And the master looks at us and says, you wicked, wicked servant. Is there someone that you can't stand to be in the same room with them? Is there someone you can't eat a meal with them? Is there somebody in your life that you can't think a kind thought about them? Is there somebody in your life that you can't serve the Lord side by side with them? You can't worship God side by side with them? Is there somebody in your life that the thought of them brings up carnal emotions? You see, as I ask those questions, the Holy Spirit brings that person to your mind, doesn't he? That's how he works. That's actually his ministry. That's what he does for you and me. Well, let me share a couple of verses with you. Who are you failing to forgive? And the other question is, are you justified in withholding forgiveness? Considering how much God has forgiven you and me, the massive debt that we owed him, that he has forgiven us. Are we justified in withholding forgiveness to our spouse or child or neighbor or co-worker or our brother and sister? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Psalms 103 verse 12. This is one of those sweet and precious promises. That we share with one another. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions. From us. How far is the east from the west? And then Isaiah 43. I even I. Am he who blocks out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sins no more. He, he remembers my sins against me no more. Now, let me ask you, does God forget? No, he doesn't forget. What does it mean that he, he remembers your sins no more? It just means that he agrees not to bring it up against you. God agrees not to bring up your sin against you no more. It means he doesn't keep a ledger. He doesn't keep a ledger against you and me. Now let me ask you another question. What does forgiveness mean? In your life and mine, number one, it means we give up the right to bring up past offenses in an argument. Let's talk about this mom, husband and wife. How many times when you're in a heated argument, does one of your spouse, your, your husband or your wife... You're talking about one thing and they start bringing up all the things that you've ever done wrong in your life from the day you got married until today, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with this argument today. Do you head like this? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you start looking at them like a calf looking at a new cake. What has that got to do with today? It has nothing to do with today. But when your spouse does that, it's evidence that they have never completely forgiven you from all those things that you did way back then. 
And when your spouse does that, brother and sister, you do this. Time out, time out, time out. We got bigger issues to deal with today. You look at her and say, Mama. You look at him and say, Daddy. You really had never forgiven me for those things way back then, have you? And that's a heart issue. Brothers and sisters, that's not fair. That's not fighting fair. And you have to deal with all of those past offenses. And you have to grant forgiveness. Forgiveness means that you do not bring up all of those past offenses. Now, let's go one step further. Forgiveness also means you give up the right to bring up past offenses to other people. For example, I have sat in my medical exam room and listened to a wife with her mother sitting right there tell me every sin that her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend ever did. And when they finish, I look at them and I say, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I can't listen to this. I don't have garbage can ears. And what you're telling me does not help you or your mother And it doesn't help your ex at all. So I can't listen to this. And more than that, it just tells me that you've never really forgiven him. Oh, Dr. Jackson, I have forgiven him. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. You see, when you forgive somebody, you give up the right to bring up past offenses to other people. You see what I'm driving at? So, brothers and sisters, when you forgive somebody... You give up the privilege and the right to reiterate and repeat and tell other people all the things that they ever did to offend you, to violate you, to abuse you. That's true forgiveness. You see what I'm driving at? That hurts, doesn't it? Because I know some of you are guilty of that. And you're going to have to go to somebody and ask their forgiveness and say, look, I've been trying to forgive you, but I've been talking you down. And I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to forgive me for that. Well, let me ask you another question. What do you do when Satan brings the offense to your mind? And he does, doesn't he? There's folks that's offended you, and it just keeps coming back to your mind over and over and over again. How do you deal with that? Well, you have to take it to the cross and you have to make a conscientious and concerted decision not to dwell on it. Second Corinthians 10, 5 tells us that we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And here's the point. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, that's a choice that you and I make. But trust me, if Holy Spirit is not active in your life, you do not have the supernatural power and authority to take those thoughts captive. And they will control your life. And they will make you bitter and angry and unforgiving. Number 10. I'm sorry, number 10 slide. How do you obtain victory over unforgiveness? Number one, you have to confess the sin of unforgiveness. You've got to recognize it, guys. You've got to admit it, acknowledge it. You've got to confess that it's a sin, and then you've got to turn away from it. You've got to repent of it. 
then you have to ask God to give you grace to forgive unto you so that you will have that grace. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will have all sufficiency in everything and you may have an abundance for every good deed. And then you pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And let's go all the way back to this young military recruit. I looked at her and I said, ma'am, the Bible says that you have to bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Have you ever thought about forgiving the lieutenant? And more than that, you're going to have to pray a blessing over his head. I want you to know it took a year and a half of counseling with her. Multiple visits. She came to see me every three months for her medical problems. And every time we talked, she softened up. She got less and less hard, less and less angry, less and less bitter. And I could tell that she was thinking and that she was praying. I had her reading some scripture verses that I would give her at every visit. I'd write them on a prescription pad and I would tear it off and I would give it to her. I'd say, now go home and read this verse and think about it. And she would do it. And over about a year and a half time, she came in one day and she smiled and she said, Dr. Jackson, first thing out of her mouth, she said, I did it. And I knew what she meant, but I, I made her tell me. I said, you did what? She said, I forgave him. And then I said, well, now, have you prayed a blessing over him? She said, nope, nope, not going there. And I said, all right, we still have work to do. Took her another three months. But she came back in. She smiled and she said, I did it. I said, you did what? She did like that. And she said, I prayed a blessing over him. And she said, Dr. Jackson, I feel like I'm free. She said, I feel like I'm free. And then she started weeping. The anger was gone. The bitterness was gone. The PTSD was gone. She wasn't on psychiatric medicine any longer. And she was liberated. You see, I want you to understand that you will not obtain victory until you begin to pray a blessing over those who have offended you, wronged you, taken advantage of you. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you will call for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. There's a supernatural healing that takes place in our spirit when we begin to pray a blessing over our abuser. Now, what time am I supposed to stop? All right, y'all won't leave if I go a little longer. I, I, want, to, I want you to understand that this is not just theoretical for me. This is practical and personal. About 14 years ago, I decided that I wanted to build a mini warehouse facility for multiple reasons. I contracted with a friend of mine whom I had led to the Lord. He was in my Sunday school class. I'd counseled with him for one of his wives. He had like four or five wives, and this was, I think, his fourth wife. She was a drug abuser, and she eventually left him. I preached his son's funeral. His son was killed in a motor vehicle accident. He and I were pretty tight. We ministered together and helped people find places to live. And, and 
And I just really valued his friendship. So I contracted with him to help me build a mini warehouse facility. The facility was about 90% done. And he and I had put up several mobile homes together, rental property type situation. When I realized that he'd hoodooed me. And he had embezzled me for over $90,000 on the on the mini warehouse facility and a hundred thousand dollars on the and it put me in a, in a in a financial hole everything went upside down and it put me in a, in a in a financial hole that took me over 10 years to dig out from under i had to work three part-time jobs just to pay the interest on one of the debts never even touched the principal the mini warehouse facility went into foreclosure after a number of years and I, I'm going to have to be honest with you. I, I was very angry with my contractor. I was embittered. One day, one of my pastor friends came in my medical office. He asked me how I was doing. And I unloaded on him. <laughs> I told him how I was doing. The venom spewed out of me. He called me the next day. And he left me a voicemail. And he said, Robert, the Robert Jackson that I talked to yesterday in your office is not the Robert Jackson that I know. He said, you were venomous yesterday. And he said, you're going to have to deal with that. You've got to get it out of your life. He said, you've got to confess it. And you've got to deal with it. Well, he was one of my longtime friends. And it, it stuck a dagger in my heart. It hurt me. But I knew he was right. And I knew I had to deal with it. But just like my female military patient, I was not ready for it. Because I was still angry. I was bitter. I was unforgiving. I was like a beast before my Lord, as the psalmist talks about. And I prayed, and I prayed. And I asked God for grace to be able to forgive my contractor. But I didn't have it in me. And it was weeks after that pastor spoke to me. And I know exactly where I was on the road that I drove every day to work. Where finally one day I gave up and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for harboring unforgiveness. Give me grace. And three or four times I said, Lord, I forgive him. Lord, I forgive him. Lord, I forgive him. Lord, I forgive him. And it was like a huge weight was taken off of me. But even as I said that, I knew I was not done because what I've taught you today, I had taught other people. <laughs> I knew I had to pray a blessing over him. Well, he had stole, stolen multiple, well, probably $200,000 worth of materials from the job site and built a house for him in another town for him and his live-in girlfriend. And that just griped my soul. And here, God was asking me to pray a blessing over him and that girlfriend and that house that he had built materials that he stole from my job site. That was just too much. Well, weeks more went by, and I knew that I needed to pray a blessing 
over him in that house and his girlfriend. And I'm like, that ain't going to happen. So weeks go by and I'm still not free. I'm still not liberated. There's just a heavy, heavy weight on me. And I knew what I had to do. I had to bless those who persecuted me. I had to pray a blessing over those who despitefully used me. And pretty much at the exact same place on the road to work, I gave up again three or four weeks later. And I said, Lord, please bless and his girlfriend in his house. Just bless him, Lord. Bless him. For weeks prior to that, he drove a red dually Ram pickup truck. And every time I saw a truck like that, I wanted to run it off the road, see if it was him, and I was going to pinch his head off. I'm just telling, I'm being honest with you, okay? And after that day, it was like God liberated my spirit. He set me free and I could fly again. I could pray again. I could take deep breaths again. Well, that scalawag had bought a little mini warehouse place like a quarter mile down the road from where mine was. <laughs> so I drove up to his business one day after that. Saw his little red truck, big red truck. I drove in there, knocked on the door. His girlfriend answered. And I said, here and she lied said no he's not here and I said ma'am his truck's here I know he's here I said you here he a little weak voice from the back said yeah I'm here so I walked down the back sat down across from his desk and I looked at him and I said yeah I don't know what's gone wrong between you and me but I want you to know that the spirit of God has put in me a willingness to forgive you and I don't have any ill will towards you I want you to know that you're my brother and that I love you. And I don't want anything to go on between you and me. And he just looked at me and tears ran down his face. He never said a word. And then I stood up and I left. I've never seen him since then. But ever after that, brothers and sisters, I've been free. I've been liberated. And I want to invite you into that. Can I invite you into that? When there's an audience this big, I, I understand there's people in here right now that have somebody like in your life. Somebody that's hoodooed you, done you wrong. There's a husband and a wife in here that just can't see eye to eye and you've got years of misunderstanding. There's, hus there's children that can't figure out their parents. There's parents that can't get along with their children. Some of you got a next door neighbor that you've not talked to in years. Some of you got it, people that you work with that you've offended or they've offended you. It's a uniquely Christian phenomenon to forgive the way that God enabled me to forgive my contractor or for my patient to forgive her, her lieutenant and more than that, to pray a blessing over him. In the Lord's Prayer, do you remember how it goes? Talk to me. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you really want to pray that prayer?
Do you really want to ask God to forgive you in the same way that you forgive your spouse, your child, your parent, your neighbor, your co-worker? Are you for real? Are you serious? Are you Mr. Unwilling? Are you the unmerciful servant? Or are you going to let the Holy Spirit work in your life and liberate you? Here's my last verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'm going to ask my daughter to come up here and sing an imitation song. And I'm going to open this altar. And I'm going to ask you if you would come and kneel at the altar and pray with me. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Working in your heart. Some years ago, I was at a church in Charleston, South Carolina. And a pastor preached a sermon similar to what I'm preaching today. That church was divided in conflict. And the Spirit of God moved in that church powerfully. And when he gave the invitation, there were people in that church who'd never spoken to folks in that church for years. And they got up in the invitation and they walked across the aisles and started asking each other to forgive each other. It was an amazing sight. And that church went from being a divided church to being a unified church. And it became a powerful influence in the community because the folks let the walls down. They humbled themselves. They began to ask each other for forgiveness. And revival broke out in that church. The other thing I want you to understand is that what I'm sharing with you today is going to have to simmer in your heart for some of you. It took me weeks and weeks after the pastor spoke to me before I could actually do what the Spirit of God was telling me to do. Some of you listening to me today, you, you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> but this could take you weeks to actually do what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. And that's okay. It took me weeks. But do not resist the Holy Spirit. You hear me? Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Because when you do, it gives you a hard heart. Do not resist Holy Spirit. It may take you a few weeks, and that's okay. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, obey the Holy Spirit. Do what you need to do. Do what is right. And go make things right with your husband, your wife, your child, your neighbor your co-worker or whomever it is.